Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. The story of America and the struggles our country endured in its early years is the story of its people. If we are to learn from history and appreciate the stories and grow from our early ancestors, it's necessary to hear the accounts of what they overcame. In many ways, Mary Jemison's birth and her start in the new world with her family represented the birth of new colonies and a new democratic nation. She faced unimaginable hardships and endured amazing hindrances early on, but ultimately persevered and found happiness with a Native American tribe in upstate New York. But if life is any indicator, another chapter in our country's story is about to be written, and this will mean changes for Mary and the life she knows and has come to love. In this chapter, the missing chapter, maybe learn something about yourself as you learn more about two falling voices. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We are back for another episode of The Missing Chapter. I am Phil Schaff here with Phil Horner. Before we get to the part two episode of Two Falling Voices, let's talk coffee. Utica Coffee Roasting Company has just developed. Now, granted, we are recording this, uh, let's see, in June, mid-June. Mm-hmm. So Utica Coffee Roasting Company just came out with a new flavored coffee. Neapolitan Dreams, strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate ice cream for breakfast. And I will tell you right now, Apart from Spotify not coming out with like smell vision yeah. yet, I wish you could smell this. This is this is amazing. It, you open up the bag and you feel like you are face first into Neapolitan ice cream. It's amazing. I know it, it's uncanny how accurate they were with the aroma. Yeah, it's a really good coffee. But I have to tell you, I think my favorite part is the smell. It Agreed. smells exactly. Like Agreed. the ice cream, like you said. I mean, granted, we love consuming the coffee itself, but the smell is fantastic. Right. Uh, so, Phil, you left us hanging a little bit, but the part two episode, I know our listeners are, are going to want to know more. Now, I think we left off right around the American Revolution. Yeah. And we, you know, essentially, I'm, I'm providing a, a story of a woman who endured right from, from birth, you know, coming to the new world, just a, an overwhelmingly difficult, arduous life. And really, we're at the halfway point. And I think you know, if you're amazed at what she was able to to kind of work her way through in the first half in part one of last week's episode, I think uh, this episode will will be equally as impressive too. So born Mary Jemison, uh, Dagawanus by her Seneca name, had, had made the long arduous journey from the Ohio River Valley to upstate New York, and more specifically, really western central New York in part one of Two Falling Voices. Uh, the journey was long, almost 700 miles by the route they took, Finally, in the dead of winter, Degawanus reached the Genesee River, but without her husband, Shenaji, who had separated from her to do some hunting and trapping and ultimately took ill and died. Now, Degawanus is a widow. It, uh, she's in a strange new land, 
But fortunately, her husband's clan relatives uh, make a home for her at Little Beard's Town, which is near present-day Kylerville, New York. Oh, no this, yeah, this is the heartland of the Seneca people, keeper of the western door of the Iroquois League. And life along the Genesee was really good. I mean, she recounts in one of her books that this is really the, the happiest point of, of her life. She remarried another Seneca man, uh, a gentleman by the name of Hiakatu, with whom she would have six more children. And like I said, she reflects on this uh, time period as being very quiet, very peaceful. And like you said, Phil, where we left off ultimately in part one, that this peace would be shattered again in her life, this time by the Revolutionary War. The Senecas and several of the other tribes uh, decided to side with the British and became the targets of the American army. In fact, in 1779, it was George Washington who sent an army of 5,000 soldiers to destroy the Seneca's will and essentially their ability to fight and support the British. And their main target was Little Beard's town. So the Seneca hoped to stop the invaders with a kind of well-laid ambush. But despite the losses, the Americans reached the Genesee Valley and began a campaign of burning fields and homelands of the inhabitants. Many others flooded the Seneca villages untouched by the army, but Degawanus made the decision to go to the abandoned village of Gadaho, south of Little Beard's town. There, she and her children found shelter, ironically, with two runaway slaves. Hmm. And she would remain here and live here for nearly 60 years. So essentially, I mean, Little Beard's town where she had located and found uh, some quiet, some peaceful time, um, is taken from her, but she's relocated. She's still in upstate New York and she's still with the supporters, her, her ex-husband's family. Her life hasn't been uprooted all that much. Along the banks of the Genesee River, Degawanus returned to her Seneca ways and her husband, Hiakatu, found her there and together they rebuilt their lives. For nearly 20 years, they lived there until another invasion Uh, air quotes of sorts, threaten them. This time, the invading army not made up of uh, soldiers, but rather land speculators and pioneers. First of all, I want to commend you on the pronunciation of these. I'm trying. And if any of our listeners are saying, boy, he's not doing well, I I apologize for sure. Hey, anybody who wants to challenge you in that kind of uh, sound off, I I got money on you all day. The other thing is, um, you know, going following up from part one Mm -hmm. to right now, I know because there's a part two, that there's something headed this way. Right. And I think you've built this up pretty good because I'm very curious for the second half of this. And, and you know, Phil, if you remember, I, I kind of told you that this woman's life, because she was born on the sea as her family touched down in the New World and in Philadelphia, her life kind of, it followed, it traced the steps of American history mm-hmm. from, you know, the French and Indian War, westward expansion, the, the Revolutionary War, and now, you know, land pioneering and, 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 you know, settlement West, it really, her life encompasses all of that, which right. I just think is remarkable. It is. Yeah. So in, in lieu of what's happening now with the speculators, a great council was held at, at the big tree, which is near present day Geneseo, New York in the late summer of 1797, all the Seneca leaders were there along with the woman who would in their traditional way, advised them, all right, which was Mary Jemison. The negotiations were long and difficult. And this is a huge turning point in our story. The resulting treaty, all right, that the Seneca decided on pleased very few in attendance. In return for 12 reservations and payments, 
much of the Seneca homeland was turned over for sale to the settlers. And I think this was overwhelmingly a case of, we want to make sure that we get something out of this deal, Mm -hmm. because if we don't make a deal, there's a good chance we're going to be left with nothing. Right. So one of those reservations included the lands that Dagawanus and her family called home. Having great foresight, however, she had journeyed to Big Tree, where the council had met, and had been able to get some land set aside there. So the, the land she was in the Genesee Valley is taken from her during the Revolutionary War. Right. The land she relocates to is taken by land settlers through a various group of treaties. She's moved on to plot number three in upstate gotcha. New York. Gotcha. Makes okay? sense. Yep. Um, the resulting Gardot Reservation when it was later surveyed, consisted of nearly 18,000 acres. Wow. And as I'm as I'm getting to this point, Phil, I'm thinking about a woman in this setting. She's able to manage so different, so many different things. And I'm thinking to myself, she would have made a great CEO in today's world. She <laughs> was able point. to manage her life. She was able to have a family. She was able to kind of deal with the changing world around her in such a remarkable way. And it's funny as you right before you said that I got thinking to myself she's almost like a, like a Renaissance woman yeah and it was the absolutely right before you said CEO I, I think that that's perfectly fitting I, I don't know if I've mentioned that in the part one episode but she's very Renaissance kind of woman managing so many different things all at the same time right. doing it well mind you yeah. and I think being a good multitasker you have to kind of anticipate changes as it comes um, and I think she's doing a very good job of that. So, Phil, although they still had their, their own land, they were growing corn, beans, squash, the Seneca who remained in the valley progressively found themselves struggling more and more to survive in an increasingly European-style world. Dagoanis and her family paid a heavy price for the pressures and tensions of the time. Three of the Jemison boys were murdered between 1811 and 1817, and there's very little detail in anything that I could find as to what murdered meant, like by who, over right. what. But it did a lot of what it talked about, what is it, it transitioned into during the same period, area residents tried several times to deprive Dagawanis of her lands. Money was always a temptation. Prospectors were always pressuring her and those close to her to sell or to try and manipulate her into her into selling. So most of her neighbors, however, respected the Seneca woman that they called the old white woman of the Genesee. They knew that no one in need was ever turned away from her cabin door. And they looked forward to the times when she came to their little uh, cabins for tea and cakes. Some local residents even encouraged a doctor and writer to talk with the old white woman. The interview eventually took place on November of 1823 at a place called Whaley's Tavern. And the next year, a little book titled The Life and Times of Mrs. Mary Jemison was published preserving the story of Dagawanis forever. In 1823, the Senecas gave up the Gardo lands, reserving two square miles solely for Dagawanus and her use. She sold the title to the lands in 1831, moved to the Buffalo Creek Reservation, and there, two falling voices, Dagawanus, Mary Jemison, peacefully passed away on September 19, 1833, at the age of 90. All right, Phil, we're back from the break. Uh, before we get started with the, the last closing portion of this uh, Two Falling Voices Part 2, 
we want to just mention and, and give a shout out to our friend Randy Corona. Um, for those of you that, that were listening through the commercial break, we you probably heard a group of kids. We were very eager and we were honored to have uh, interview us with some podcasting questions. And Randy Crone is a good friend of ours. Uh, she worked at Ken and Jahari for some time and she's now at Sharon Springs. And she asked us if, if uh, you know, her class could interview us. They're doing their own podcasting. Right. So it was an honor and a privilege to speak to these guys. We wanted to have them on an episode. Yeah, a great group of young adults. And obviously they're they're benefiting from having uh, Randy's uh, tutelage. And, and um, it was just great to see her, great to be a part of that. Yeah. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. So thank you guys uh, from Sharon Springs, and we wish you all the best because I know that was a great group of seniors. Yep. So yep. they're moving on up here. So to finish up this two-week, two-part episode, Phil, this is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, what are some of the takeaways? Well, for me, it was different. It was There was something that, that drew me to this story, and you know, it's, it's two and a half seasons now, the missing chapter. And we've talked anywhere from people who've invented things, people who are part of specific time periods, specific events in history that, that were life altering. And, um, you know, there was something about this woman's life. It was her, her life entire from the time she reached the new world, she'd just been born to the time she passed it at age 90. You know, she didn't invent anything. She just experienced American history and was over, was a part of all of it yeah. and was able to overcome so much that it just kind of resonated with me. And, you know, it's just, it's that perseverance. It's that, um, human desire to have a family, settle down, live a quiet life. She was able to have that at, at various points, but then it was, you know, there seemed to be always a disruption that came along that, um, that kind of uprooted her, but she never lost sight of that. And she would always go on and try and, and achieve that. I don't know. I, she just seemed to re, like a remarkable woman. Yeah. And you, you actually, you used the, the exact terms I was going to use to describe her, which was, you know, being an overcomer and persevering perseverance. She has a resiliency about yeah. her that was very, very admirable. Um, yeah. The whole story as, as you, you know, continued further on, further on, you kept thinking to yourself, my God, how many more hits is this woman going to take? And there's certain people in history at certain points where you just admire them for how rugged and determined they were, yeah. you know, the, the, the traveling by foot, the losing loved ones. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, the, the, she, she kept going. Yeah. 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 And you, you see these stories like, you know, the old Westerns, you know, my dad loves watching Westerns even to this day, you know, it'll be like one o'clock in the morning. He's still watching Westerns as a retired, you know, teacher that, that that's part of the benefit, but you, he, you see all these Western um, movies, shows, you see all this history, people moving West and the things that they've had to endure. And then you, you know, hear a story like Mary Jemison and some of the things they've had to endure. And then, you know, here we are in 2023 complaining about a 45 minute drive. And I know, you know, the, it puts the, things in perspective. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and things being late and whatever. And then you think to yourself that what these people had to endure and overcome uh, really puts things in perspective. Yeah. yeah. And, and she lived to be 90. Yeah, you know, know, and I, I don't think you can look back and say, boy, that was a really sad story. That was a really sad life. I mean, she definitely had high points and low points. But I think the ending is very worthy of, of her story. And I think you, you uh, listening will appreciate how we wrap things up uh, on our two-part series here. In a very appropriate set of circumstances, 41 years later, the old white woman returned to her valley. 
the Buffalo Creek Reservation had been sold and the old burying ground, which included Mary Jemison's grave, was threatened. Her grandchildren approached the owner of the Valley Land, who at this point was a Mr. Letchworth, to see if he could help them. And to his credit, he immediately invited them to bring the bones of their grandmother to his Glen Iris estate. In March of 1874, the remains of Degawanus were removed from her original grave, placed in a new walnut coffin, and transported to the Genesee by train. In ceremonies held in the ancient council office, that I think very fittingly combined both the Seneca and the Christian European traditions, mm-hmm. Degawanus was buried on the bluff overlooking uh, the Middle Falls in, okay. in the Genesee Valley. Visitors to Letchworth Park, as it is known today, can still visit the old white woman of the Genesee. There's a granite marker, which was erected by Mr. Letchworth, not long after the reburial, and this marks her grave. On top of the marker is the uh, famous Mary Jemison statue that Mr. Letchworth dedicated to her memory in 1910. And it depicts the young Degawanus, and I think this is very appropriate, with Thomas. Uh, on her back, making the long trek from the Ohio to the Genesee Valley, an unforgettable journey in the unforgettable life of a remarkable woman who walked in two worlds. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Shaw. And I'm Phil Hornder. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.